Well, I think since the beginning from the Garden of Eden, humanity has struggled to obey God. Uh, we like the idea of self-rule and self-determination, um, and it certainly, as we read through the Bible, it has impacted our relationship with God. Uh, for those of you who are married, it will have impacted your marriages. Uh, for any of us who relate to one another, it impacts the way we relate to one another, and it's certainly real in our church relationships, isn't it? You know what? Well, actually telling you something you already know, sin has permeated every aspect of our lives and relationships. Uh, I came across a book titled Great Church Fights. I haven't actually read the book, but in, in finding the book, I found a Twitter survey that someone had put together. I'm not going to repeat them for you. There's no point in it. I've got no idea whether the churches um, that were contributing were even interested in being Christian and remember, there's a big difference between simply being a church and being a Christian church, which is seeking to honour Jesus, live for Jesus and obey Jesus. So I don't really know whether the people who responded to the Twitter survey, where they're coming from. But they, it's sort of like a, a funny, sad read when you hear of the fights that ch- churches have. If only Christians could put into practice God-honouring living. If only I could put into practice God-honouring living. How many people do you know of who've used the excuse to turn their backs on Jesus that they've seen fights in churches? I've come across a fair number. I know it's an excuse, but that's the excuse they'll grasp onto when a church has a fight. And nothing's changed over the last 2,000 years as we read through the book of Philippians. You see, I think this is something that we struggle with as God's people. It seems that the church in Philippi had a problem of unity. They had people wanting to do their own thing and go off and do one thing one way and another thing another way that was not necessarily even gospel focused. And so Paul has written to them and reminded them a number of times that they need to deal with this. It will come up a little later in the book as well. And so in chapter 1, verse 27, we see that Paul says, Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel, worthy of their citizenship in the gospel. It's not about Paul, it's not about someone else, it's about how we live as God's people together. Last week, there was great encouragement. I mean, last Sunday, not the Wednesday service in between. There's great encouragements and great challenges for us as a church to be like-minded in gospel living. I wonder how you thought about that. I must admit, from last Sunday to this Sunday, it's just been chasing my tail. So it's worthwhile being reminded that the challenge from God's word last week was for us to be like-minded in gospel living. And that would be a natural outworking of my relationship with God and our partnership in the gospel. And we are, we saw last week, to strive side by side for the sake of the gospel, even in the face of opposition. That gospel-focused living wasn't just the work of Paul or other church leaders. It was to be actually what every Christian was on about. They were all on about it together. And in verse chapter 2, we saw that Paul unpacked some more of that. Is that. Not only this is what we are to be like, we need to stop being like some ways. And the things we're to stop being like is filled with selfish ambition and vain conceit. 
we need to be like we need to put the gospel needs of others above ourselves. In verse 3 of chapter of Philippians chapter 2 it says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition and vain conceit, rather in humility we are to consider the needs of others above ourselves, not looking to our own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. That is an incredibly challenging passage. And this is still last week. Verse 5, it goes on to say that in our relationships together as a church, we should have the mind of Christ, a mindset of Jesus Christ, which is, again, an incredibly big challenge. We are told what Jesus was like from verses 6 to 11, just in case we've forgotten. So having said all of that, that just sets us up for this week's passage. I'm going to pray because I want the challenges of last week not to be forgotten as we move on to the next passage this week. Lord, we pray that your word will speak in us, will find residence in our lives, not be water off a duck's back. We pray that your word and spirit will find action in our lives, that we'll not just merely listen to the word and so deceive ourselves, we'll do what it says. We pray, Lord, that for all of us as a church, that we might be like-minded, striving together side by side for the sake of the gospel, for that is what citizenship in Christ is all about. And we pray, Lord God, that the challenges of this week might be ones that we also take seriously. And we ask this, Lord, in your precious name. Amen. Well, I I did all that background work because it starts with the verse 12 of chapter 2 with a therefore. And that means that in light of what he's about to say, depended on everything he's just said. Therefore, after seeing the example of Jesus Christ, this is how you should live. We must keep on obeying, like Jesus did. And who should we keep on obeying, we could ask? Because in this chapter alone, we've already been challenged to put the interests of the, put the needs of others above our own. Should I just be keep on obeying you? Should you just keep on obeying me? Should the Philippians keep on obeying Paul or their leaders that are with them when Paul is not? Well, actually, I could say neither or all of them. I think the passage is saying that we need to keep on obeying Jesus whether Paul's present or absent. Who cares about Paul? Paul is just a messenger of Christ. He is just an ambassador for the gospel. And so whether he's there or not, that's not the issue. What is the issue is whether or not you take God's word seriously. Obey it. And therefore, we should be obeying anyone who teaches God's word. And that's the point of the problem. I think the heart of the problem in Philippian church is that they weren't. They would turn around and say, well, I don't really, I'm going to do my thing. They weren't like-minded. They weren't striving side by side for the sake of the gospel. They were off on their own hobby horses riding them. In Philippians 2 verse 12, it it raises this. If you thought that salvation by grace alone meant that you could go off and do anything you wanted for Jesus in any way you wanted, this passage sort of says, no, that's not the case. In fact, if you thought that when you became a Christian, you could continue life before you became a Christian in exactly the same way, uh, sorry, after it, the same way you were before, then can I suggest to you that this passage actually turns that thinking upside down. So you see, you can't be a citizen of the gospel without the gospel impacting how you live. This passage makes sure that we understand that very clearly. It says... Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Now, now we've got to really read this well. 
The danger is that we read it, it says, read it as saying, continue to work for your salvation. It's not saying you're working for your salvation with fear and trembling. We saw in the memory verse the kids have had that salvation is a gift, not by work, so that no one can boast. Continue to work out your salvation, not for your salvation. You've been saved by grace. You are to live lives worthy of the gospel of Jesus. You are to live out your citizenship in the gospel. Live out what God has made you through Jesus. Grace means does not mean you sit around and do nothing. Grace means that you then live in light of the grace God has shown you the new citizenship that you have. Live out what you've already become in Jesus. And that requires obedience. And that's hard work. If you thought that I'll just sit round and wait till God, for God to direct me in how to live until God grabs me by the shirt tails and drags me into something I didn't really want to do, then this passage also turns that thinking upside down. It says, get off your backside and work. Work out the implications of your salvation. Citizenship in the gospel does not mean that we sit around doing nothing until someone drags us to do something that we don't want to do. Citizenship in the gospel means that we pursue godliness in our lives, working out the implications of the gospel. Get on with serving God. And it says we are to do that with fear and trembling. It is possible for you to have this idea that I must serve God in case God's presses a smite button. You know, this idea of God sitting up in heaven, I remember seeing it as a Gary Larson movie, uh, sorry, picture, and God's waiting there to press the smite button the moment that anyone does anything wrong. You could think of it a bit like playing uh, cricket for the Australian cricket team. You're like the Travis Head of, the, you've got, I've got to perform well today or I'm out tomorrow. That's not how this passage reads. Remember Romans that first memory verse, Romans 5, verse 8 and 9. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. Whilst we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now that you're part of God's kingdom, since, you've been, since we've now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? You see, God is not going to abandon you as soon as you stuff up. He's not up there waiting for that moment to press the button. So what is the fear and trembling that we are to have? Have you ever been sent out on a really important task? Or been sent out on a really important task for someone who is really important? No one's ever been game enough to trust me with that sort of job. But if you've gone, you don't understand what it is to have fear and trembling. The seriousness of the task ahead and the greatness of the person that you're serving. Just imagine it. Now, what is the seriousness of the task that we have? Taking the gospel of Jesus to a world that if they don't hear it, a cactus. Taking the gospel of the world is actually it's bigger than that, isn't it? It's actually changing the way that we live so that the God who saved us is honoured. That's a huge task. I know it is for me, and I reckon it probably is for you as well. And remember who it is we're serving. The awesome sovereign Lord of all the universe, that is the one that has set that task before us. So, this is nothing minor. Be fearful and tremble before the God who has asked you to live our life worthy of the gospel. That is a bit of a scary verse, isn't it? But then it goes on to point out the fact that you and I are not working alone. 
It is good to know that when God calls us to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, he doesn't cast us adrift to do it by ourselves. The very next verse tells us that. God is working in us and God is working through us to bring about his work in us and his work in the world. And that is really good to know. That doesn't mean that I then sit back and do nothing again because remember I've been told to get off my backside and work out my salvation with fear and trembling. But it also means that I'm not doing it by myself. God's word and God's spirit is working in me. I can read parts of the Bible, the memory verse we've had a while ago um, about God's word teaching us, rebuking us, correcting us and training us in righteous living or God's spirit convicting us of our sin in John's gospel Uh, and teaching us to obey everything that God has commanded us. So the scriptures give us an idea how God is working in us and through us to transform us so that we work according to his God's purposes. God-honouring, gospel-focused living. We've already been saved, not to save us. We don't do it alone. God's word and spirit is working in us, and we are working not according to my plan or your plan, but according to the sovereign... the plan of the sovereign ruler of all the universe. So that's just all the background stuff. (laughs) Let's get on to the challenges of the passage. What sort of changes should that make in the way that you and I live? There's lots of practical things in Philippians. We had them last week. We've got to get them this week. There's three I want to raise to us this week. There are three commands or command issues. They're not exactly a command, although they are. They're not suggestions. Uh, Two of them are put in the command language and one of them is put in a roundabout sort of way. So it's still a command. Here's the first one, verse 14. Because of the gospel, because of who you are in Jesus, stop whinging and stop arguing. I reckon this is a command that we are not always good at. I'm not thinking of anything specific. I'm just thinking that for the last 2,000 years, whinging and arguing has been the forefront of God's people. Christians have lots to argue about and lots to whinge about. And I can whinge about those who whinge even and try and sanctify my whinging. But that's not what the passage says. It doesn't say find something really good to whinge about but only whinge about the good stuff. It says... Don't whinge and argue about anything or grumble and complain, I think is the words it uses. Doesn't say we don't have anything to argue about. Doesn't have anything to say we don't have anything to grumble about. It says stop doing it. Now I think it's a particular problem for the church in Philippi It's been highlighted at least three times on the way through, but it's also a particular problem for every church that's ever read the letter of Philippians as well. What is the best way to undermine gospel-focused, single-minded, side-by-side gospel ministry? Whinge and complain. It's the best way to undermine any ministry, actually. When was it you last whinged about something in church? I could say how many minutes ago, but really I've been speaking for too long for that to really... Maybe you thought it. Maybe you're like me and you think, oh, if only that was going to fix up or that there. 
When was the last time you made a negative or unhelpful comment about when things weren't done the way that you liked them at church? And are you the person to push your point and keep pushing your point until everyone's forced to do it your way? You can see how whinging or complaining and arguing work. But you know what? This is not just saying don't complain and argue when you're at church and do whatever you want any other time in your life. It says because of the gospel, don't be complainers, don't be grumblers, don't be arguers. In all of society, wouldn't we be nice people if we weren't the complaining person or the arguing person? Nice in every one of our relationships. It's not, remember this passage is assuming that we've still got lots to complain and argue about. But it says the gospel makes a difference in the way that you live. Because you and I now have something better to live for, don't we? On this particular command, I want to leave us, leave us with a challenge to think about. I think we, because we are comfortable Western Christians, I think we have lots we complain and argue about. So what was the last thing you complained and argued about? Was it important? Were you trying to win? And a more helpful question, now you've identified the problem, is what's a better way to approach it? What's a more God-honouring way to have done that? Or not done it? Uh, This morning in the first service, someone asked me a good question on the way out. It's not that there weren't good questions, but this was a good question. Does that mean that if the minister of the church is teaching rubbish from the front, we've just got to put up with it? Uh, No, no. So so that first reading I reminded us of, in fact, there are a number of readings in the scriptures remind us to hold on to truth. It is okay to use God's word to set God's agenda. It's God's gospel. He's the one we obey. So... You can actually discuss things. But I think most of our, the the context of this is grumbling or complaining is all about self-interest, isn't it? It's not about trying to make sure the word of God is faithfully taught. Here's the next command. Verse 15. The way that we live when we stop grumbling and complaining, that has a powerful impact on the world that we live in. In the broken world that we live in, it says we will shine like stars. You see, if we can master godly living, we are very winsome to a world that doesn't know Jesus. I think this phrase is coming from Daniel chapter 12. I, I've, I've, I've written out, the, I rubbed out the verse, but it uh, didn't actually print, but it might be verse 3 or it might be verse 8. Daniel 12, and it says... To those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Godly, gospel-focused, obedient living shines in a broken world. I could point you to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 10 and 11. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they'll see your good works and glorify God on the day that he visits us. You see, if we want to be people who promote the gospel in the community, we need to be people who don't complain and don't argue, even if we've got lots to complain and argue about. In other words, we need to allow the gospel to make a difference in our lives, and that will be powerfully evident to those around us. The third command from this passage comes from verse 16. You are to hold out 
or hold on to the word of life. The passage can be translated both ways, and I think there's a reason for that. I think the passage wants us to do both. Hold out the word of life and hold on to the word of life. And Paul says in verse 16 and 17, if you hold out the word of life and you hold on to the word of life, you guys are worthwhile dying for. That's pretty amazing. Paul has not wasted his time with the Philippian church if they heed these commands. And he goes on in verse 19 to give us a couple of examples of people who are like this, the sort of people that he's just been describing, Timothy and Epaphroditus. Timothy is described as a person whose relationship with God affected him to the very core of his living. He has a genuine concern for the interests of others. He has worked side by side with Paul for the sake of the gospel. And as Paul talks about Timothy, verse 21 has this little mild rebuke for the rest of the church. Verse 21, don't seem so captivated by the interests of the gospel as Timothy has been. They seem to be looking after their own interests. Timothy is held out as a wonderful example of someone who's taken this sort of living lives worthy of the gospel and put it into practice. And there's Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus, he is more concerned with gospel ministry than he is for his own health. Now that's a really big challenge to a culture where we take ultimate concern for our own health. And I'll ask us a question about that at the end that might help us discuss what that might lead to. But we read in verse 30 that Epaphroditus almost died for the work of the gospel. Now, there is more I could raise from this passage, but I did want to try and keep it shorter than normal. And I want to ask us some questions. There are three questions I want to ask to each of the three, one to each of the, each of the challenges. It says, don't grumble, don't complain. How are you going to stop your grumbling and complaining? How are you going to stop your grumbling and complaining? I'm not saying to Rick at church. I'm saying to all of life. That's a massive challenge. This is for me, and I think it will be for you. The second command told us to shine like stars. Here's my question. How conscious are you that your obedience to the commands that God has given here will impact how others see the gospel? And the last command, hold firmly and hold hold forth the word of God. How How are you ensuring that you hold firmly to the word of God and how are you ensuring that you hold forth the word of God I I don't think those um, application thinking things are, are light or small or minor I think they're big it's coming up to the new year where we start new year's resolutions that would be a brilliant one for us to be working on wouldn't it I do have a question I would like you to discuss over food and coffee Um, I talked about Epaphroditus, who is more concerned for gospel-driven ministry than he was for his own health. And here's my question. 
Is it better to burn out or fade away? Joe Cocker's song, if you didn't know. I think it was his. Are you, is it better to burn out or fade away as you are driven by gospel concerns? I want to end with a story that might help you discuss that a little later on. Uh, John Patton, he was a guy who brought the gospel to the South Pacific and the islands around that, about the 19th century. And before he left, there was an old bloke, an old Christian bloke, who said to him, but John, you're going to get eaten by cannibals. John replied, Mr. Dixon, you are advanced in years and your own prospects is soon to be laid in the grave where you will be eaten by worms. I confess to you that if I live and die by serving and honouring the Lord Jesus, it will make little difference to me if I'm eaten by cannibals or by worms. You might like to discuss that a little later on. Have it, I pray. Our Lord and our God, we thank you for your word. It's touched on a couple of things today that we are not always good at. Uh, We are good at complaining and we're not good at not complaining. We are good at arguing about things. Lord, help us to obey what your word says. Help us to shine like, like stars in a world that desperately needs to know you. Help us to hold on to the word of God and help us to hold forth the word of God. And we pray, Lord God, that as we do that, our ministry to each other, our gospel ministry will not be in vain. And we ask this, Lord, in your precious name. Amen.